Hello and welcome back to Trash and Treasury. We have a very exciting episode today because we are recording in person. Yes, the very first time. So for anyone listening to us who doesn't know this, we actually record via distance because I'm in Bendigo and Grace is in Melbourne and we just have some, you know, we've had some audio challenges over the Mm -hmm. time, but um, we've worked it out. But being in person is pretty special. Quarantine is you know, lowering and we've been able to spend time together. So it's awesome. We've built a pillow fort and we're (laughs) ready to give you our hot takes. First up, we're going to be talking about the US 2020 presidential election candidates. So obviously Trump and Biden, as well as a few lesser known candidates. A few other little interesting (laughs) contenders. contenders. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's right. (laughs) Joining the race. And for our trash today, we will be talking about the new Stan series, Normal People, which I have raised, I think, a few times in (laughs) the last couple of weeks. So um, hopefully you've all listened to that and there will be spoilers ahead, but the first part of the conversation won't be. So we will let you know. So um, no need to to quickly turn us off just yet. Yep. (laughs) First things first, it's time for Treasury. So as you're probably vaguely aware, the 2020 presidential election will be held on Tuesday the 3rd of November. So elections in America are always held on Tuesdays in November. Do you know why this is? Is it so they can be like us and say, see you next Tuesday? (laughs) (laughs) The people working at the polling booths. The people at the polling booths are just (laughs) trolling America. Um, Yes, Yes, it is. You took my fun fact. But also another reason is that in the 18th century, when America first asked citizens to cast their ballots, its largely rural population needed a couple of days in the saddle to reach a polling station. And because Sunday was a day for church, Monday was not enough time to ride to the polling station. So Tuesday was the natural choice. Wait, so... They picked Sunday because they could start riding on Sunday. No, no, they can't ride on Sunday because they'll be in church. Oh, and they'll be church in their church in their hometowns. Yes, and then if they wouldn't get there in time for Monday after church, but Tuesday is enough of a ride to cast your vote. Interesting. I heard that it was on a Tuesday and it wasn't on the weekends because to rule out people to vote so that people who are working are not able to take time off work mm. and that it's actually like something that the government's just kept doing because it's in the interests of winning. Look, there is... Maybe that's just a conspiracy theory. No, no, that's <laughs> that's valid. That's not why it was chosen. Oh, but that is... Well, that's fascinating. That is, like, America does not have compulsory voting and they do have a lot of problems with turnout and you'd think to address their low turnout, an obvious reform would be to put voting on a Saturday and they haven't done yes. it deliberately. So it's not a conspiracy. Yeah. It's They haven't it's, changed it deliberately. Yeah, deliberately, yeah. Although, you know, like surely it would be in the interests of one of the parties. So when one of the parties, uh, the main parties, was in power, why didn't they change it? Why didn't Barack Obama change it? Yeah, why didn't Obama change it if he had the power to? Maybe he didn't have the power to. I don't know. I don't know. Sorry, we didn't research that, but we'll get back to you on that. (laughs) And it's in November because they were a farming society and November was a good time. It was like a chill time between the harvest and the heavy snowfall. It was wow. good for going on a two-day saddle expedition to the polling booth. Interesting. Very, very interesting. So that's like why November. And in terms of the actual election itself, the U.S. presidential elections are a little different than here down under, <laughs> where you elect your local member for your area or your suburb. 
and whichever party gets the most of those people, they choose their own leader. In the US, when you vote, you get a piece of paper and you tick, you know, I want this person to be the president and I want this person to be the vice president, but you're actually not voting for them. You're actually voting for an electoral college representative who is supposed to then vote on your behalf, but they don't have to. And this was actually Alexander Hamilton's idea, the guy I'm obsessed with from the musical Hamilton. And remember, guys, Gillethard, it's happening, it's coming. (laughs) (laughs) And the idea behind it, it was good at the time in the 18th century. It was meant to be that those people elected in the electoral college would be less able to be corrupted and less able to be influenced and keep the power with for the people. So it started with good intentions, but wait, I don't get it. How would they be less influenced by because for the people? they're like random independent people? They're not political parties, and so they're meant to. Right. Their job is like to represent the will of the people. So okay. and they're supposed to like yeah be democratic and like put forward whatever the people said. But it does seem like redundant. Yeah. Like, Yeah, I think it made sense in the 18th century. And as I said, it started with good intentions, but the road to hell is paved with good intentions. (laughs) And the Electoral College uh, elected Trump, even though the majority of the population did not. And the same thing happened when Bush was elected in 2020. Mm. Yeah, so that's the election. Um, Trump needs no introduction other than... (laughs) (laughs) He's a reality TV star, rich man, um, who's known for having a bunch of hotels, <laughs> mm. um, being bankrupt a lot of times, being a sexist, um, sexual assault predator, <sighs> sexual assault predator. What else, Grace? Um, orange man. Orange man. Small hands. Small hand <laughs> memes. <laughs> um, uh, most currently known for taking picture in front of church and spraying people with pepper spray to get in front of said church for the Black Lives Matter wow. protests. Have you not heard of I this? actually missed that. Oh, my God, Grace, it's everywhere. So he was going to the front of the church to make a speech about uh, stopping the George Floyd response riots. Um, and they pepper sprayed protesters. Yes. The church, yeah. so the church had been burned as well, like in su- the riots. Right. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the church members and everything, like, also got sprayed in getting to just to get Trump to get onto the steps of the church to give this speech and get take the selfie. So he was going to invoke the amendment. I forget what it's called right now off the top of my head, but um, to deploy the military to calm the streets of America down. And this is, uh, I think it's. constitutional right that they can invoke but it's very rare and it's very controversial to invoke like the army to suppress your own people very 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 controversial especially for a country like america whose whole ideology is premised around the individual's rights the leader of the free world it's like yeah it's and the right arms and yeah it's very scary and i think um you know his leadership has definitely been one of the most um baffling leaderships that we've seen in like a western modern Mm. world um to lead a country with just such idiocy and lack of skill coherence and ability like he's a reality tv star um who's running the world and just 
he's been impeached. And for anyone listening who didn't understand this, because I didn't understand it when it was all happening, mm. but there's been a lot of uh, spotlight on it. So people, you know, may have done their research since then. But in- just to recap, though, just to recap. Um, impeachment does not mean being removed from office. So I thought when someone got impeached, it means removing the president from their office. But actually, impeachment is just the legal process of starting legal proceedings against a prominent political figure. I think usually the president, but there are Mm. a couple of other people who you can try to remove from office. Okay. And that's called impeachment proceedings. So bringing us to the topic of today then, he wasn't removed from office. Mm -hmm. He is the incumbent candidate of the election. Yep. What's that looking like? Like, what's his tactics? Is he like... So a lot of the talk around Trump staying in office for another four years, um, (laughs) it seems that every election people say, this is the most important election ever. Yeah. You know, things like that. But in this case... If they were to have Trump in office for another four years, you know, who knows what he could do. Basically, in four years, there's already been a lot happen. He's already managed to get himself (laughs) impeached. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he's there's so many issues with him. He's almost started wars. Um, He's, you know if you look at it through the lens of these rights and everything, the coronavirus. Which she calls China virus. China virus. And they say, why are you being racist? I'm being accurate. It came from China. Apparently, there was actually a, a media release of Trump's documents, of his notes, for um, that press giving conference. a speech. A speech. I don't know which press, press conference it was, but there was some of his actual notes released, and there was like, coronavirus and he crossed out corona and wrote china so he specifically wants to make it a racial issue like he's like but it started in china it started in china it's the china virus you know like super racist i mean if if there was going to be a war that started it would be you know china against the u.s sort Mm. of um he's been yeah making comments to incite things yeah exactly He's basically created a fake controversy. He's trying to talk about called Obamagate. That's not a thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, I don't really understand how this all came about, but he said something about Obamagate and everyone's like, what's Obamagate? What <laughs> He's like, you know, the media knows. Why won't you publish it? Because you're crooked. Yeah, and they're like, no, literally. What? Are- but literally, what do you mean? <laughs> What was that other Twitter uh, comment that he wrote when he fell asleep? Oh, yeah. He's like, oh, he always has nonsensical Twitters, but like his most hilarious one is his tweet, which says, despite the negative press, kafefe. <laughs> and then it just stops and everyone's like, what? <laughs> so basically, that literally what makes no sense. Apparently, what happened is that he started writing a tweet fell asleep and it was like he they think he was supposed to write conference coverage despite coverage. the negative press coverage but he wrote i'm Kefefe. doing great but he Kefefe. wrote Kefefe and he didn't finish the sentence <laughs> yeah. and everyone's like what's Kefefe? yes apparently because he was trying to own it he was just like what do what do you mean you guys all don't know hmm, i'll leave that one for you to work out yes and it's Kefefe. been parodied so <laughs> talking about that china virus thing alec baldwin's trump impression he's like there is a Kefefe virus. <laughs> and then my personal favourite is on RuPaul's Drag Race. They had a competition where you had to, like, make wigs and they were called Kefefe. Oh, my God. That is brilliant. It's the best. I mean... He makes it too easy, though. 
Yeah, he does. I mean, I suppose like that's just again him saying like fake news and like just being mm. so false bravado. Um, you know, he just makes anything seem like it was supposed to be a thing. And so that's with the scary thing. thing. He just stood behind it. <laughs> I, that's what scares me about Obamagate, because people are like, "What crime?" He's like, "It was the worst crime in history. I can't believe Obama did it." And everyone's like. Did what? And did he, what? And he's like, you know, I don't know why your newspapers are so crooked. You won't talk about it. But there fake w- news, fake news. There will be people mm. that now think Obama is corrupt and did a, the biggest crime in history, even though they don't know what <sighs> that is. Like, people will be convinced by that. It's true because all of his fake news and uh, displaying, you know, facts that are not facts has just been accepted that that's what Trump does. But his followers, which there are a lot, say that he speaks the truth and he's talking real to the people and but he's not he just makes stuff up some of it factual some of it not so you can never know which thing was real or not real unless you actually investigate it yourself which as we know the average person doesn't you know jump on uh you know google and read a number of peer-reviewed articles or Mm. read you know um factual newspapers and you know just scrolling through twitter um isn't news He's just a crazy man. And look, when Trump got in, it was sort of a disbelief that mm. he could win. Um, also, there was, you know, a lot of hatred of Hillary at the time. Mm. Um, but for him to get another four years, given what he's done and the damage he's done so far, that's just in the first four years. So what could he do with another four years is what everyone's kind of saying. Um, and it's very scary to think what could happen next. Mm. The only good thing is that, the life expectancy for men in America at the moment is 78.54. So Trump is 73. Joe Biden is 77. Yeah. So he's like, but I do think Joe Biden seems a lot healthier than Trump. Like he looks like he's got a sensible diet and mm-hmm. he does exercise, whereas Trump yes. drinks up to 12 Diet Cokes a day. <laughs> <laughs> does he really? Yes. And he mainly eats Maccas because he thinks he's going to get poisoned. Oh, my God. So Maccas wouldn't poison him. Maccas, yeah, I don't know (laughs) really how his theory works. But he's like, no, no, like, I have the best health. I am very healthy. I'm very healthy. I'm the healthiest of men. (laughs) But apart from being 77, Joe Biden is basically in this election. He's the old white man that isn't Trump. Mm-hmm. He's probably most recognizable for being Obama's vice president, so you would be familiar with him. Yeah. A super fun fact about Joe Biden is that he was born in Scranton, Pennsylvania. No. Yes. Throwback to episode oh, five. The office. He's from the town in the office. Oh my god! I always wondered if that was a made-up town. Same. And actually, another fun fact: we're sort of getting into episode five territory, but Scranton is real because. In the start credits of The Office, there's this kind of shaky cam footage. John Krasinski filmed that, doing research, moving, like, researching Scranton when he got the role. And then he just gave it to the producers. Yeah, Jeff Daniels loved it. Greg Daniels loved it and put it in the show. So gorgeous. So gorgeous. Very off topic. (laughs) So Joe Biden started politics a long time ago. He was first elected into the Senate in 1973. And very tragically, a few weeks after he was elected, his wife and daughter were killed in a car accident. Oh, no. Yeah. Which is really sad and something I don't think many people sort of know about him. I'm surprised. Yeah. I suppose because that... It was a long time ago. It also humanises him. Yeah. So that's really sad. In Mm. terms of his politics and stuff... Yeah, like, I think he's okay. Obviously, he's way better than Trump. Yeah. 
It's a bit hard to get super excited, but um, what I think is exciting is he hasn't announced his vice president yet. So Trump has locked in Mike Pence, but Biden hasn't. And they're sort of saying, like, he's going to have a woman. And he definitely needs to get someone good. So there's basically two people in the running. One is Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, and um, another a, a black woman. Another is a black woman, Kamala Harris. Yes, um, and so everyone sort of knows America's never had a female president, but they've never even had a female vice president. Whoa, never! I didn't know that. Neither did I till I was researching for this podcast. Oh my God. So it would be like really awesome, and I think both of those women sound really cool, and either of them will be a great choice. Oh, Michelle Obama. Also oh, she doesn't want to do it. She doesn't want to do it. No, she's, nah, she's, she's been through enough. <laughs> so, you know, it, when he was with Obama and in the Democratic Party, they've had a really big stance on the Me Too movement. So they've had a really big stance on um, that we should listen to women, that we should, mm. um, you know, advocate for women and, you know, f- believe victims and things like that. Um, but Biden has had his own sexual assault allegation which actually came about i think in the 90s um Mm. but nobody really did anything about it um this uh one of his ex-employees i think uh made a complaint at at the time and then has raised it again like last year when he was running for office um and now it's become big again because he's now locked Mm. the locked in candidate um Biden completely denies that this has happened, of course. Um, but it's quite interesting that, unfortunately, we have two sexual predator allegation candidates. Yes. And Trump's stuff <sighs> is not really an allegation. He's Trump's been recorded. Trump's stuff is like there is way There's more proof. than one. There's proof. There is, you know. Um, but to the fact that we have two very old white men who've both been accused of sexual harassment accused of sexual assault to run terrible america is the most depressing it's a bloody sophie's choice election it is a sophie's choice election except at the same time biden does have really great like he like for the democrats we're not endorsing trump not endorsing trump but like he does have decent um political views um but a lot of people are very careful to say, you know, put the allegations aside because actually the Democrats, they have, um, you know, quite a big stance on the Me Too movement, believing women and everything. So if they sort of go against these allegations too much, they have the risk of looking like hypocrites. The Trump administration can't go against Biden and put him down for his sexual assault allegations because then they have the um, ramifications of looking like hypocrites as well because of Trump's Mm. numerous allegations. But realistically, one of these two men will be in charge of America for the next four years. Mm. Um, One potentially more evil than the other, but both. One's certainly more evil than the other. But to what degree? (laughs) But to what degree? It's like, Jesus, do we really have these the, the only two options? But actually, there's not, which brings me (laughs) (laughs) to the other candidates. (laughs) To the other interesting candidates. Okay, so which minor party candidate are you going to talk to us about? (laughs) I'm going to be talking about Roque de la Fuente, (laughs) also known as Rocky. Rocky. Uh, So he is a used car salesman millionaire. Great. And he's run for the office dozens of times. Good on him. He's run for the Republicans, the Democrats, and various independent parties. He also has six campaign buses with his face on them. Wow, and he still can't get elected with still all can't that get elected. publicity. Uh, I know. 
So sometimes people do vote for him. So he's had as many as, uh, or as much as 12.3% of the whole vote in Rhode Island. That's uh, actually not bad. That's about yeah. the national vote for the Greens. 11.4% in Florida. Yep. That's respectable numbers. Not too bad. Um, in 2016, he ran under three different parties' banners. <laughs> just all at once. Just He's it. really hedging his bets, isn't he? <laughs> yes. So there were he ran in the Democratic primary and there were 17 Republicans running, whereas in the Democratic field there was essentially just Hillary and Bernie, meaning that De La Fuente uh, came in third in several states. Good on him. Albeit a very distant third, but still third nonetheless. Yeah, that's still a medal. <laughs> so his main campaign, um, you know, was a strong opposition to Trump's policies on immigration. So De La Fuente is a Mexican-American and spent his childhood on both sides of the border, um, and his father owns businesses in both countries. Um, So he sounds okay. Like, he just just never gives up. He basically... (laughs) And I was, like, trying to think about it. I'm like, look, he's got all these buses. Why isn't he getting elected? Is it because he's running for strange parties? But, no, sometimes he runs for the normal parties. He does. So why doesn't he not get elected? I think he's just... I don't know. He's a used car salesman, but Trump's a reality TV star. I guess because he is left. Um, And I suppose lefty... um, But he can't be that left because he's run for Republican as well. Look, he has, but... He might be centre... He's maybe a little bit more centrist, but he does have um, a bit like predominantly more lefty ideals. Um, But he's just sort of known for like never giving up at one point. He doesn't give up. At one point they they refer to him as a perennial candidate, like a plant. (laughs) Evergreen. Evergreen just keeps coming back every year. Look, I just want to give him a chance. Vote Rocky. (laughs) I need to tell you about my candidate though. please. Um, His name is Vermin Supreme. He is also a perennial candidate in that he has also run a million times okay. for the Democrats, for the Republicans, and as a libertarian. Now, this is the description of Vermin Supreme on Wikipedia. <laughs> Supreme is known for wearing a boot as a hat <laughs> and carrying a large toothbrush. <laughs> that is his Wikipedia. <laughs> And I'll show you a photo. No, there's more, but I'll I'll show you a photo and we'll put it up on our website. But basically, he looks like Gandalf. Oh my god! He's got long hair and a long beard, but his hat is an upside down black gumboot. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, "If elected president of the United States, he will pass a law requiring everyone to brush their teeth." (laughs) And. He has campaigned on a platform of zombie apocalypse awareness. (laughs) Time travel research. And he has promised a free pony for every American. (laughs) And (laughs) he got interviewed and they're like, so why do you want to give everyone a free pony? And he said... The fact of the matter is the government could afford to give every American a pony. It's financially doable. It could happen. And the pony program is also his critique. The pony program. It's his critique of exorbitant US military spending. Money should be for ponies, not war, I think. (laughs) (laughs) And now I want to tell you about his criminal justice policy platform. Oh, God. (laughs) 
So the only crime will be violent crime. If you commit a violent crime, every inmate will have glitter-painted walls in their rooms, a brand-new dental hygiene kit, and a stuffed pony to accompany them while their own pony is put out to pasture for a while. (laughs) Inmates will attend daily group toothbrushing sessions, and it is encouraged for them to wear pony-themed attire. After serving their sentence, inmates will be evaluated in a kangaroo court during which they will participate in a boxing match with an actual kangaroo. (laughs) Those deemed restored by besting the kangaroo by non-violent means will be released on a good behaviour bond and their ponies will be returned to their care. (laughs) So vote for him because that is hilarious. Wow. Um, All I have to say to that is... Make America great again. Ponies, not war. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so today for Trash, we are discussing the 12-episode Stan series, Normal People. So this is based on a book of the same name, by Irish author Sally Rooney. It focuses on two young adults in Ireland who fall in love in high school. And then the story continues on for about five years after that. And it's all about what happens next. So it focuses on the nuances of a relatively normal relationship with all the angst and awkwardness alongside it, but also covers some other serious themes, predominantly mental health and family violence. So now I will say that... As it's a new show, spoiler alert, (laughs) we will be diving in deep. But also the story isn't about what happens next or the, you know, the plot of sort of big events. It's all about the nuances of what actually happens in their relationship. It's it's not like a thriller. It's a character-driven drama. So if you want to keep listening, you will still thoroughly enjoy the show for the acting, the faces, the accents and the story. True. And also we did give you two weeks notice that we were doing that. (laughs) So you also could just skip ahead to the last 15 minutes of today's episode if you just want to hear our minis and you could listen to this discussion in a few weeks time. Yeah. Um, Up to you. You could also read the book, which I did earlier this year, actually. I didn't know it was being turned into a show. It was recommended to me by someone as just kind of like a contemporary the voice of youth like this writer really understands the youth I was like okay and the book is a pretty similar of the plot but the book is just much more depressing Mm -hmm. and I actually wouldn't recommend the book that much unless you really were obsessed with the show and you Mm want to just go a bit deeper into their internal monologues and that next level that you don't really get right in the show but the book makes a few darker things more explicit yeah yeah. and I wasn't like, oh, my God, I loved that book. I was more like, did I enjoy that book? It was kind of, like, not enjoyable, whereas I loved the show. Okay, great. I was wondering what you were going to say because I hadn't read the book, but I watched the show and I was gushing Mm. to you about it. The show is very, very good. It's very, very good, isn't it? Yep. And some scenes of the book have been recreated perfectly, all the dialogue, exactly how you imagined it. But it's just more enjoyable. Yeah. I've heard that the book was a little darker. It's darker. Which is fine. It's just I think 
but I thought when I was watching it, like it's still a drama. There's still heavy themes. Like, mm. you know, it's not every single scene and every single episode is heavy, but it's still got those elements to I it. I think they've softened it to make it a bit more realistic and complex. So, mm-hmm. for example, in the book, the mother is a monster and it's really hard to, like, understand why her family is like that. And right from the first time you meet the mum, she's, like, watching her brother, like, physically assault Marion, the main character, and the mother says stuff to her, like, this is all your fault. And every scene with her, she's a monster. And you're like, who is this woman? Whereas in the show, she just looks kind of stressed with work and she's trying to manage the dynamics of her two children. And It's really subtly done. I love it, like, how they created her. Um, And also that... Originally, that controlling behavior that the brother had mm. over Marion, um, you know, how he was rude to her or would put her down, but there was no physical assault. So I think it created more of an um, maybe more accessible sort of understanding of like controlling behavior. Mm. And then eventually things escalated in the show, but mm. it did depict like your average everyday uh not every day, but, you know, you'd want to hope so. But the situation where there is this control and families don't know what to sometimes do and so the mother particularly will just freeze or turn a blind eye Mm. to this put down and everything. Whereas in the book she didn't turn a blind eye. She was, like, actively encouraging it. Oh. Yeah. She was saying, like, yeah, you deserve this, Marion. It was, like... Yeah, and it was a real caricature or something. It wasn't yeah. like the show was. Like what- the big bad wolf. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, yeah, obviously there can be situations like that. But I think what you just illustrated, sort of like the more complex situations where people don't know is it or isn't, is it or isn't okay. And we will put, again, the number for 1-800-RESPECT yeah. in our show notes because obviously there are some talking about family violence and heavy controlling behaviour is a bit. Upsetting, but the show does deal it's with it so, really well. And it definitely does. the other complex themes of the show, like mm-hmm. um, around sort of sex and intimacy and mental health and yeah. things like that are all done really well. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I suppose, you know, the show is it's about love and awkwardness. And, you know, if you haven't seen it, there are two high school students and Marion is quite a loner and he, uh, Connell is quite the popular guy, but he's sort of the quiet man of the group. He's like the sheep who goes along. He's attractive. People like him. But he's not wealthy and he's from a sort of single-parent household. Yeah, but he's in the cool kids group and Marion's just a real loner and she has all this trouble at home, as we learn. Um, So she just really keeps to herself, but she's also, like, super feisty with her teachers and with people, but she's super smart. The show captured her feistiness well. That's the same in the book, but one thing I think that was, like, (laughs) unrealistic in the book they're like she's not attractive and he's like keeping it a secret in the show she's stunning I think they cast a too pretty actress and I think that Daisy Edgar Jones is a fantastic actress I think she played the role really well but it just made that whole storyline a bit confusing it's like why isn't she in the popular group why would people care that you're dating whereas in the book like she was portrayed as really ugly and weird (laughs) Yeah, I think, and usually in a sort of Irish-English show, they would do that. But also, at the same time, she was a fantastic actress. She pulled off the role, but she was beautiful. She was beautiful, and there's another key moment where in the book, he, years later, so 
they both go to the same college and in the book he's like walks into a party and he's like oh my god who is that hot girl over there dressed so cool and smoking oh my god it's Marion yes and it's meant to be like the sort of trope from like the princess diaries Greece she's supposed to have had a makeover whereas in the TV show she looked exactly the same just with earrings on she just had earrings and, and she a was skirt and her hair was out and not in a braid so like, there was like <laughs> no it. big reveal yeah yeah so look that plot hole aside, um, there was a scene in the school that I thought was quite realistic. So Connell really liked Marion. Um, they were in love, but he was embarrassed to be with her in public because she was like a loser. Um, and there was at one point when the boys started to click that there was something going on between uh, Marion and Connell. And they sort of give him shit Mm. and he just like slams his locker, doesn't talk to anyone um, and walks off and he goes straight into one of the school toilets and has a panic attack. Yeah. And I remember thinking, and he was just like, shut up. And then he runs off and has a panic attack. And I remember thinking that is so realistic. Like I remember having that sort of um, terror in high school if something embarrassing had happened or you know that sinking feeling where your whole life is about to change and it's like that part of the whole show is Connell realizing that no one cared Mm -hmm. you know and that is part of the plot Um, but it was his own you know story in his mind his own narrative that he formulated that he was going to be so embarrassed and people were going to tear him apart for dating Marion. His life would be over. Like. But he just denies it and he's so embarrassed and tries to shut it down but then has this panic attack like, oh, my God, mm. it's almost out. It's almost revealed. Um, so then they, he basically just doesn't see Marion much mm. after that. He mm-hmm. asks someone else to the school, Deb, and mm-hmm. stuff like But that teen angst, I think that embarrassment from Connell was very, very realistic and I related to that. I remember – having that freak out once when someone hacked my MySpace account. Wow, that's scary. It's terrifying. And I thought, oh, my God, what's going on? Like, they could be posting anything or whatever. They could be putting your top eight friends in the wrong order. In the wrong order. They could be changing my background. They could be saying They could be playing a really embarrassing song off your song. Yeah, (laughs) basically someone just, like, knew my password and they put jokes up or whatever or something. Like, it wasn't to tear me apart. It was just, you know... A bit of a joke or whatever. And so nothing horrible was said, but it really terrified me. And, like, I got really upset. And I remember thinking, yeah, that's exactly how I felt. Like, mm-hmm, I had that mm-hmm. that sort of physical panicked reaction. physical reaction. Um, and this is the first time that we see Connell start to descend into um, sort of the anxiety mm. and depression that comes up later mm-hmm. in the show. Um, I think the show handles mental health really well. Mm. And particularly in contrast to some other popular shows um, that don't handle it well. So, for example, yeah. 13 Reasons Why has mm-hmm. been really criticised for its portrayals Glorifying of suicide. suicide, yeah. yeah. Whereas normal people portrays a sort of like quite delicate but supportive sort of people encouraging him to seek help. And it doesn't feel yes. really Pollyanna and preachy like Degrassi, like this is the message <laughs> we're sending this episode, kids. Yeah. Like it just feels. Make sure you always seek help and tell your friends and yeah. this is the perfect way to do it. It's exactly. Like it's more nuanced and it feels genuine. The best part about that um, when he finally does seek help later is that his male friend is the one who encourages him. Yeah, and I, I really liked that as well. always love seeing examples of that in TV. Like um, we know that we have a problem with men seeking help for mental health issues, um, you know, across the world. It's a global problem. Yeah. Um, and if we can sort of, you know, if there can be more examples in TV shows, um, 
art, any just any sort of public space. And I like as well it's that important. it was like not just like the platitudes like there's always help, speak up. It was like very specific. It was like you should go to the school counsellor. It's free. Like yeah. there's services call them and like you know because sometimes people can just be like you know don't suffer in silence but people actually don't know what to do and we'll put also some links to like lifeline and um yeah the mental health care plans you can get from gps and stuff like that but definitely i thought it was good and one other sort of topic i think it portrayed really well is um sex okay all right yeah hit me i thought the virginity scene was so good yeah, it was yeah, good. it was so good. How it was really like um, lots of verbal checking of consent all the time, <laughs> yeah. you know. Like, but again, but not in like an awkward way because people kind of get it was like, extremely awkward. No, it, it was. was. <laughs> that was the whole point. Yeah, but also like but that's what your first time exactly. <laughs> and actually, I have read people saying the they think it's unrealistic that teenagers would have such good sex so quickly. I have heard that at the same time, it's a TV show. I don't know. Like, yes, they are trying to be realistic in some ways, but but also they still had awkwardness. You know, I think there was a little bit of um, uh, what's what's the word? I think it's Flowery realistic, sort of. You know, moans and things that were oh, coming yeah. from Marianne that were definitely like, mm, really first time. Sure, but people fake it on their first time. True. I guess, you know, True that. whether or not they were point. consciously trying to portray that. But did you know that the show, the production hired an interesting role? Yes. Yes. A intimacy coordinator. An intimacy coordinator, which is like a new job in the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. And it's like a professional person that basically makes the sex scenes as comfortable and safe as possible for the actors and for everyone on set. Yes, I've heard that she was the same person who did sex education. Um, and I haven't seen sex education, no, me but neither. everyone goes on about it. So I feel like it's something that we should recommend to ourselves because <laughs> um, I've heard uh, so many good things about it. So, um, yeah, okay, we well, should definitely check that out. But the same, the same intimacy coach who created apparently all these interesting sex scenes. It's in so interesting that, show. that that's her job. And how do you get into that? I have no idea how you get into it. Um, but that person, that type of person has been around for a long time in terms of in like. porn. Yeah, well, not just in porn, but there's lots of sex scenes in film where you have to like do certain things and choreograph routines. I guess the point about this position, to make a pun of it. <laughs> this like, is not where about. Where are you going with this? Yeah, no, this is not about choreography. This is not about who's doing what and making it look really cool. This is about um, setting safety and boundaries for everyone and about making sure there's no surprises for the actors. So this person talks to them both about, like, their concerns. They do both of those things. They do the choreography as well. But I don't think setting a safe environment is something that's been happening for years and years. I'd say that's definitely post-Me Too movement. It's it's definitely something that has been, um, yeah, paid much more close attention to in recent times because of the Me Too movement. So, yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, I also want to talk about how amazingly they dealt with relationship miscommunication. Um, There's a big one. Oh, yes. So this is one of my favourite but also most, like, frustrating frustrating scenes. But it is so bloody realistic so for people who haven't read or seen the show mm-hmm. what happens so um 
what happens is they break up over a miscommunication. So there's Connell saying, I've lost my job. And I guess, so he's at uni at this point and they've gotten back together. Um, And he says, I've lost my job. um, And so I guess I have to move home because I can't afford my rent. I can't afford my rent. So um, I guess you'll want to, I guess we should see other people. And the whole time leading up to that conversation, we see as the viewer, Connell having this internal monologue about, oh, do I ask her if I can stay at her house because I have no money and I don't want to leave her and I don't want us to break up and I also don't want to leave uni. Mm. But he was really embarrassed to ask her and he had just had this real fr- a, like nervousness of asking. And he and kind so, of went there wanting to ask. And he went there That's wanting to ask. That's what he thought ask, the conversation. He chickened, yeah. he chickened out, the poor guy. And so then, but what I found just absolutely just so on point is that that's exactly how it came out of his mouth was like, yeah, I've lost my job. Can't pay my rent. Uh, so I guess you want to see other people like if I move home and she's just like, yeah, I guess so then I guess Aww. that's fine. Um, and so he leaves. But what's interesting is that like, I've seen this play out in my own life and in my mm. friends' lives. And my theory is, is just like, he was so embarrassed to ask to stay with her and ex- but expected her to offer back mm-hmm. but like you got to ask for what you want you know people well, you can't say read so, minds you can't read minds and don't assume um and she would have been having to grovel exactly. she would have had to been like don't move back yeah then you can then you as the you know in a traditional sort of heterosexual um situation you know we've sort of don't want to come across as needy. So, you know, I thought that was really realistic that Marion was like pissed off and also because she had low Mm self-esteem and had had been rejected by him in high school and he was embarrassed by her. And she didn't have any sort of strong family. She didn't have strong family connections. She'd been put down by her brother constantly. She really did have big self-esteem. Very, very low self-esteem and she expected rejection. Yeah. So that was something that I thought was really just – profound and you know because of this little miscommunication that they had and later on they talk about it and she's like of course you could have stayed and she cries because of all that time that they'd they've lost, wasted. that they've wasted because they didn't have a conversation mm. and it was just oh I've just I'm so in love with this tv show I think it just it just perfectly encapsulates situations, awkwardness, relationships, angst. Yeah because usually on tv shows they say all the right things oh, and so good Normal people, yeah. as in people in everyday life, yeah. don't know how to have, like, good conversations. And also normal people have baggage. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of shit that Marion's carrying with her, but also Connell de- is dealing with his mental health, and that's a very realistic relationship. So it's a great title for the book on the show. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess, like, it is to do with the difference with how they were both raised, and Connell mm-hmm. has basically the best mum ever. And one of my favourite scenes is basically a bit of a Lorelai Gilmore moment where they're driving, he's driving her to work and um, he tells her that he asked this other girl, this popular girl, to go to Deb's with him and his mum's like, pull over the car. Yeah. <laughs> and they oh my pull God. over. That mum is the best. She's the best. And she's her. like, well, who's Marion going with? And he's like, I don't know. And she's like, so maybe no one will ask her and maybe she just won't go then. Don't you think you should have asked her seeing as you f*** her every afternoon? Yes. <laughs> That was so good. It was amazing. And ben, it was like, reminded me a lot of our favourite um, Lorelai and Rory sort of conversation. And she also didn't just get over it. Like 
for a few weeks, you know, he's sitting, stropping, watching TV, and she says to Connell, like, I think it's a good thing that you're feeling bad right now. Like, she was yes. a vulnerable person and you've really let her down oh, and behaved badly and you should be ashamed of yourself. Such a good mum. Such a great, like, role model and, like, pulls him up on his um, nonsense. And I loved in that car scene when she was just really like, you've done a really horrible a thing here. You're a disgrace and I'm ashamed of you. You know, they're calling, she's calling him on it. But also, again, realistic is that they get over it as a mother and son. Mm. But he actually doesn't rectify that issue. He doesn't talk no. to Marianne again for like yes. until he goes to uni. uni yeah. um, and so that's really interesting. Also their friendship and that they continue to friendship is really interesting. Like they continued that throughout their years of being together and not being together. That is interesting. So there was another part I really enjoyed in the show uh, when they're back together in the uni uh, sort of era of the show. And there's a storyline about him never showing Marianne public affection because they were secretly dating in high school as well. And he's very embarrassed. He's a very anxious guy. Um, And he was embarrassed to show her affection in high school um, because his mates would have given him shit or anything like that. But he actually took that role into the later years and so did she because she Mm. was – um, expecting him to not acknowledge their relationship in public, even though they were in uni and the roles were pretty reversed. He was struggling in uni and she was flourishing, flourishing. and had all these friends and really, you know, had these, all these artsy types who mm-hmm. all just, you know, misfits who all kind of came together and it just worked perfectly. Um, and then, so she actually mentions it to him and so she's like, yeah, you're very sweet, but you never acknowledge me or touch me in front of anyone. Mm. You know, it kind of makes me feel like you're still ashamed of me or something along mm. those lines. I'm not taking a direct quote here, but, you know, that was really, um, you know, her saying that. And because they're both really non-speakers, I think mm-hmm. that's um, important because in the book there was all this internal monologue and narration. But the show really shows a lot of those unsaid silences and things where you don't get that what I should have said thing. It's yeah. just like, why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you say anything? Why yeah. didn't you do this? Why do you do that? So he actually, him hearing that, he makes more effort after that to mm. hold her hand. And, oh, my God, my one of my favourite scenes was when he goes to the high school, mm. um, was it the New Year's Eve or something, mm. back in Sligo where their hometown was, and he takes her and all these people from their high school are there. And... It was just so beautiful when yeah. she walk. He walks in and actually he drops her hand straight away to hug someone else, mm. and you just see her terrified. It's happening again. It's happening Same again. Same old pattern. Same old pattern. Oh my god, he's going to ignore me. And then he goes, "Sorry, this is Marion," and like brings her in and he kisses her in front of everyone, and it was just like, oh, good I'm personal growth. Connell. Really glad that they gave us that little nugget of yep. <laughs> <laughs> potentially unrealistic but beautiful. <laughs> Yeah. There were also some serious themes, though. So there was in relation to her growing up and having this sort of low self-esteem, it sort of translated into her later partners Mm -hmm. who she started dating. Uh, So one of which was basically someone who she just wasn't really interested in, but he liked her and she was just kind of going along for the ride. The second one... um, was very, very controlling. Mm -hmm. And you see this play out in a very interesting argument when they're at her house in Italy. Yeah, and Connell is there as well, seeing this man be quite rude to Marion and sort of, yeah, you know, originally feeling jealous of the guy and then feeling wanting to defend Marion. Yeah. 
And then he goes inside and they're having a private argument after there's been all this tension at the table. Um, and he smashes this wine glass mm. that is really important to her. And it never, it doesn't get physical, but she's about to launch at him. But that just very controlling, very upsetting mm. act of like smashing a wine glass that belonged to her dead father, mm. you know, just such a controlling horrible mean thing to do and he would be like but again realistic yes and the friend was saying but he adores you Mm. i know he's got his flaws but he adores you it's like that's still not okay (laughs) no yeah but i think what the show does demonstrate though is that those relationships aren't okay and eventually like marion realizes like her own self-esteem and what she deserves in mm. relationships and like breaks the pattern of her intergenerational trauma from abusive relationships yeah. and sort of. And gets past her brother, has her yeah. own life. and um, But it's also realistic in the sense that her mother basically doesn't acknowledge her. Mm. Again, they don't make up. Um, you know, there's no sort of Hollywoodized happy ending there, which is realistic. Mm-hmm. You know, families are complicated, you know. Um, doesn't call her on her birthday or do anything like that. So, yeah, it's got some heavy themes there, but um, the realisticness and the sweetness that does still come through um, just makes it so enjoyable to watch. I was crying in it, loved yeah. it. I completely agree. I loved it as well, even though I didn't love the book. I knew yeah. the book was good, but I didn't love the book. The book just was a bit more icky. The show is just amazing. It's pretty rare that you get that feedback Mm. that the show is better than a book Mm. like how often have you heard that I can't remember an example the ending is slightly different between the book and the show as well so that's what I was going to ask you yeah the the ending in the book so basically in the show and in the book he gets accepted into a program in New York I think um and so in both the book and the film he's basically deciding whether to do it and the book just ends at that point yeah. And you actually don't really know what happened, whereas in the show it's much more clear that he's chosen, he's going to go and she's going to stay. But I have seen a lot of things lately that are like, I firmly believe that Connell's flight was cancelled due to coronavirus and they're self-isolating together. Yeah. <laughs> That's so true. I'm like, I still want them to be together. Like, but why they'll come they back to each other. They've, they'll come back to each other they because that's what do. they do. That's what they do. They belong together. They do as much together. as like soulmates aren't a thing. They are like highly compatible, and they put in work. <laughs> they are highly compatible. Yes, they are highly compatible, <laughs> but they also put in effort to like treat they each do. other. Well, and they so. are friends. They're together. They're not together. They have other relationships. They're but they're just so drawn to each other. Like even when Connell's like in a different location or whatever, and he skypes her back from mm. Sligo, and she's in Dublin, mm. um, and he's having some problems, and she's like just on Skype the whole night, just doing her work mm-hmm. or whatever. And they like have each other just on hanging the screen out. Yeah. just to hang out, you know, and he falls asleep and she's just watching him sleep because he's struggling. And mm. oh, it's just beautiful. Yeah. It's a yes from us. Check it out. It's a yes from us. And this, this actor, this Irish actor, first big role. And he's really become huge. Everyone's obsessed with him <laughs> and in love with him and his necklace. His neck chain. Yeah. Arnold's neck chain. Has 15,000 followers on Instagram. Yes. <laughs> and is it being auctioned? Is oh, it, I, I think it's being that. auctioned for mental health. Um, That's awesome. For an Irish organisation that helps people deal with mental health. So I don't know what it's um, sold for or anything like that. But um, 
that's the neck chain going to good use. That's great. And because everyone was obsessed with it, they couldn't find it, apparently. Yeah. They couldn't, Where is it? They couldn't find Who it. Who done it? And Who so they it? found it somewhere. And um, I think uh, Connell gave it to Marianne, the actress. Just um, something, just a memento for the, you know, from the show. Yeah. Um, but Marianne has sacrificed um, for the greater good to auction it for good charity. Good Daisy. <laughs> oh, awesome. Well, that's normal people. Yeah. Fantastic show. I'm glad you loved it. <laughs> loved it. Loved it. All you right. All well as well. Time for Hero of the Week. So my hero this week is Jacinda Ardern, Prime Minister of New Zealand. Fantastic um, hero. Fantastic hero. Look, she's my hero every week, but... Um, I suppose this week looking up American political candidates and Mm -hmm. um, just the sort of Sophie's choices that we've spoken about earlier and um, it just inspired me to go look up videos of Jacinda and speeches that she's made. And she is currently, um, you know, again, still making amazing speeches about coronavirus, how they've handled it in New Zealand. And apparently she did a little dance, she said. And I found a video on, yes, (laughs) when um, New Zealand announced that they were coronavirus free. And I found a video on YouTube of um, her face being superimposed onto Hugh Grant's in love, actually. (laughs) Oh, so funny. Um, but, you know, just um, I rewatched her speeches around the New Zealand massacre, how she passed a new, yeah. a new gun law legislation um, and how she shuts down her interviewers and comment- commentators that try and make her play into female stereotypes. Like she is just such a legend um, and I found a few fantastic videos of her being interviewed by Stephen Colbert on there as well. Yes. She's just, <laughs> she's just oh, she's just a, such a wonderful leader. And so whenever I'm feeling depressed about the world leaders that exist, um, I just look to Jacinda <laughs> and feel hopeful again. So true. And it's interesting, like you bring up, you know, the female stereotypes because one actually mm-hmm. good thing about her as well is that she isn't afraid to lead with female strengths like empathy and no. things. And there's been some female prime ministers and presidents. Like I'm thinking of Thatcher who, you know, mm-hmm. would, would, would act like a man, but she's sort of saying actually like there's a lot of strengths yeah. in other ways of leading and exactly. clearly everyone is responding to that really well. Totally. And she just... She's still got so much strength in her, and conviction in what she says, but she still, yeah, isn't afraid to um, just be herself. And, um, you know, there's a beautiful picture of when she took her baby to the UN, like the first ever example of that. And it was just, she's just amazing. She's just yeah. an amazing woman. What an inspiration. She is. She's amazing. Mine is a bit similar um, this week. Mine is Daniel Radcliffe. Oh, okay. So I don't know if you've heard that J.K. Rowling made some transphobic comments. And I then, did hear that. Yeah. I did hear that. And then she also wrote this article afterwards, like 10 reasons I'm not going to back down. So she's really just <gasps> firmly. Oh, I didn't read that part. Yeah, which is I really only heard her. Re- I only heard her response or something. So could you tell me again what she said and for our listeners who haven't seen it? Yeah, so basically it was an article that said how you can support people who menstruate during coronavirus. And she retweeted the article and wrote, people who menstruate, didn't we used to have a word for that? Woman? Yeah. Woman? 
And then people were explaining to her, yeah, people were explaining, oh, that's actually more inclusive language because that includes um, trans women and, you know, we don't need to say women, we're talking about people who menstruate. Yeah. And she is saying, well, she actually got into trouble six months ago for similar comments and basically she's saying, well, if you're going to tell me sex isn't real, then you're discrediting any woman's experience of sexism ever because you're saying that sex isn't real and we're all saying, no, no, that's not what we're saying. Yeah. 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 I've heard her be described as like this is one of those topics that she's just the mountain that she's willing to die on. Like why is she choosing this as her like (laughs) – topic to stick her heels into like it's such a strange time in the world like there's just, a word for it though it's called a turf so it's, it's called a, a tran- trans exclusionary radical feminist mm. and there's also swerf which is sex worker exclusionary so i feel like wow. she just needs to read some articles and get with 2020 um but the what you know let's not talk anymore about that we don't need to give any more light onto what she said but what i thought was amazing was mm-hmm. um Daniel Radcliffe wrote a blog for the Trevor Project, which is like this LGBTQI um, resource for kids in America. And he sort of said, like, I'm so sorry if um, this has sort of tarnished the books for you and I hope you don't lose what was invaluable in these stories. And again, sort of talking about politics at the moment because the Harry Potter books were so political. So he wrote, if these books taught you that love is the strongest force in the universe, capable of overcoming anything, and if the books taught you that dogmatic ideas of pureness lead to the oppression of vulnerable groups, and if you believe that a particular character is trans, non-binary or gender fluid or that they're gay or bisexual, and if you found anything in these stories that resonated with you and helped you in a time in your life, then that's between you and the book you read and that's sacred. Oh, yes. Uh, he's so beautiful in what he says, Daniel Radcliffe. He's so and beautiful. He, he made a wonderful comment um, a little while back about the books, like because these mm. stories are like once the story's out there, the characters are taken on by everyone who reads these books. They're no longer the writer's characters. They belong to the readers. Um, and it was just such a beautiful way to like describe art, how people get so attached to it. Um and want to make sense of these characters and everything. So that's, again, what he's saying now is, like, if you want to believe this about the characters, then go for it because, yeah. you know, these characters belong to us. that's your experience reading the books and no one can yeah. take that away from you. It is really interesting, <sighs> though, the whole J.K. Rowling thing and about whether people should stop buying the books and whether J.K. Rowling is cancelled. Mm, and we're actually yes. going to talk a bit about cancel culture in a few weeks. So I thought that yes. was just interesting as well, a little part of this. But Definitely. Daniel Radcliffe is... Yeah, beautiful, beautiful man. He's a great hero. All right, time for country news. So I've got an animal-related country news story this week. It's about the Australian bird called the night parrot. So this is a um, nocturnal bird that is an endangered species and it's found in some rural areas of Australia. So it's very rare for birds to be nocturnal and the Australian night parrot is one of only two nocturnal birds in the world. And wow. the re- researchers are trying to understand why the population is declining and they've managed to do a CT scan of one of the parrot's skulls and it turns out that they have very small optic nerves. So it means night parrots are not actually very good seeing in the dark and they keep <laughs> flying into stuff. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's so hilarious, but also devastating. It's really weird that they've evolved to be nocturnal, but they can't really see in the dark. And so, to so help they've them evolved out- to be nocturnal, but they're dying out now. Yeah, because of their small optic nerves. <laughs> <laughs> And so to help out the night parrots, if you live in rural Australia, they're suggesting that if you've got any fences, you need to put some highly visible reflective tape on the fences just so they can really see them in the dark. (laughs) (laughs) How sweet. Oh, well, I've actually got an animal-related country news story as well. There we go. Pets Week. Harry's practice. That's right. Harry's practice. Um, So mine is about a kangaroo that was rescued from a mine shaft in the bush at Drummond North. Um, So the kangaroo was found by two lads, the article said, um, (laughs) who were walking, (laughs) walking near their home. Their father called authorities and Five Freedoms Animal Rescues, Manfred Zabinkis. So he is a... basically a kangaroo rescuer and he has a little sanctuary of his own and um, he goes into these mine shafts. It's a pretty big operation. So he said that there's so many of these dangerous mine shafts for our wildlife and, you know, you can imagine the suffering that they go through if they fall down one of those shafts. Yeah, because so they can't read the signs saying mining yep. shafts ahead. Exactly. It's dangerous for every everyone. Um, and he said, I would call on the government to look at options to make these mine shafts safer. So uh, he thinks at least wildlife-proof fencing around the shafts would be simple, cheap and effective way to safeguard them. Apparently this is the sixth one that they've found this year already down a mine shaft. And so what they do is they have to tranquilize, they have to abseil, they have to get ropes to hoist them out. Like it's a it's a big operation. It's like um, Jeff getting so, a bottle of water. Like Jeff. It's <laughs> <laughs> exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> but I mean come oh, on, fences around a huge hole in the ground. That's not rocket science. It's not rocket science. What about just a uh, what about just a board that is over the shaft, you know, yeah. like a piece of wood to cover it up or something? I don't know. Look, again, like said, Jeff's bunker hatch. Like Jeff's bunker hatch, exactly. Shout out to episode two again. So, yeah, <laughs> look, just awesome man, awesome work, um, just doing amazing things year round and helping out our Australian wildlife. Oh, so, I love yeah. him. That's great. I what a good too. heartwarming country news this week. <laughs> That's right. And now it's time for recommendations. So my first recommendation this week is Love Life on Stan, starring Anna Kendrick. Mm. I binged the whole series yesterday and my reaction is just, which is my mind being blown. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So basically it's just... um, about this one girl and a couple of her friends um, and all the people that she dates throughout her sort of young adult life until she finds the right one. And this is not cliche at all. It's extremely well done. It's really it's really beautiful. Like I feel like this is going to resonate with a lot of people. I, it certainly did with me. It felt like this was just my life playing out, you know, like that's how much it, it resonated with me. From um, the promos, obviously. it just looks cutesy and like I wasn't in the mood to watch it at all. But like hearing you speak about it, it sounds way better than I assumed from the poster. I don't know why they marketed that that way because that's exactly how I felt. I was like, 
oh, I don't know if I'm into this, you know, this mm. looks a bit shit. Um, it's really not. It's really not. It's kind of reminds me of like the shock of um, normal people for me as well. Mm. It kind of blew my mind in the same way, but in a different way. Um, and it just really goes through all different kinds of relationships, um, really realistic situations and, you know, issues that um, come up between friends as well. It's just, it's so powerful. Um, it's a work of art. I think it's definitely been commissioned for season two. Yeah. But I have no idea yeah. what that will encompass, whether it will be the same people or whether it will be following a different person. Interesting. Well, I think you've convinced me. I will check yep. it out. But speaking of normal people, my recommendation is related to that and it's fantastic and I'm so excited to tell you. Yes. So a lot of people, including us, as we've talked about, obviously wanting to know what happens next for Connell and Marianne. Yes. Well, Sally Rooney has already published What Happens Next and she published it in 2016 before she wrote Normal People. What? It's a short story she wrote called At the Clinic and it's about Connell accompanying Marion to get her wisdom teeth out and basically she won like a prize for the short story. It was in a magazine and she's like, those characters in that short story were so good, like they need a bigger platform, I need to go deeper and she wrote Normal People based on this short story. Oh, my God. So, wait, they're together? Well, not quite. So it's set when they're 23, so a little bit after the show, and she's just broken up with another boyfriend. He's also broken up with someone else. They're still sort of in their will-they-won't-they dynamic. Uh, The short story, you can read it. We'll put the link in the show notes. To be honest, it doesn't have, like, much huge plot. It's the sort of little vignette of the two characters and their dynamic, but it's definitely, like, if you need more normal people, which we all do, there's more. Oh, my God. I can't wait to look at that. Why has nobody brought this up until now? I know. (laughs) What the hell? Jesus. Thank you, Grace. You're welcome. But, yeah, it's a very little random story at the dentist. So it's just, like, a cute cute little snippet. So... My next recommendation is from my dad. Great. (laughs) Yes. So he's recommended to me some YouTube videos by a company called Juicy Media. And they make comedy, comedic satire news reports and ads to do with Australian events. And I've watched a few of them. And I have to agree with him. They are hilarious and savage. (laughs) (laughs) They're like legitimately informative as well like it it is all just a bit of a yeah about the government and everything like that or coronavirus or you know about tourism or something but um there's really no other words for it other than they go for a few minutes each there are different topics every video and it is hilarious so if you feel like going into a youtube hole um check them out (laughs) that's a great record thanks dad (laughs) thanks dad Now, it was hard for me to think of anything for my second recommendation because everything I'm watching and listening to at the moment, we've already recommended. So I'm still going through (laughs) Grey's Anatomy. I'm up to season nine. You should recommend that every week. So season seven. Yeah, here's what happens. I recommend season eight this week. (laughs) And then I'm also still listening to the Hamilton soundtrack to get prepared for July 3rd. So (laughs) instead, this week, I'm going to do a life recommendation. Okay. Which is get a pet. If you don't have a pet, go get a pet. We adopted our cat at the start of quarantine and it's genuinely Mm -hmm. the best thing ever. And like I grew up with cats and our housemate had a cat, but 
I used to be like, oh, it's too annoying to have to worry about getting a pet and you can't go away for the weekend and you have to look after it. No, stop making excuses. Go and get a yep, pet. Yeah, just go and get a pet. <laughs> they're the best. They're the they're best. best. Even, if they, even if they have doggy diabetes, they're still the best. Yeah, even if they scratch <laughs> your hands, still 10 out of 10. Even if they eat your undies, they're yeah. the best. <laughs> so much love. And always adopt, guys. Always adopt. Yes. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of today's episode. So thank you for joining us. And we will see you next Tuesday, where we will be diving into Treasury, talking about artificial intelligence. And for Trash, we'll be talking about the highbrow genre of vampire romances. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And why vampires so goddamn sexy. Answering the questions the people want to know. So don't miss next week. (laughs) And to take us out, we have prepared... A little clip from our favourite political candidate, Mr. Vermin Supreme. Gingivitis has been eroding the gum line of this great nation long enough and must be stopped. For too long, this country has been suffering a great moral and oral decay in spirit and incisors. A country's future depends on its, on its ability to bite back. We can no longer be a nation indentured. Our very salivation is at stake. Together, we must brace ourselves as we cross over to the bridge work into the 23rd century. Let us bite the bullet and together make America a sea of shining smiles from sea to shiny sea. Friends, what this mandatory toothbrushing law is really about is strong teeth for a strong America. My name is Vermin Supreme. Vote early, vote often. Remember, a vote for Vermin Supreme is a vote completely thrown away. Please note that the views expressed within this podcast are our own and we are not experts. We have done some serious Googling and even some serious internet deep dives, but we are by no means qualified. If you need actual advice, please speak to a licensed professional. We can even help you Google one.